0: Welcome to Season 5 of the podcast of The Urban Mystic. In this season, we're exploring relational spirituality. It's rooted in the drawing near and withdrawing of God. It's a practice of spirituality that's rooted in God's relational presence. In this sense, relational spirituality differs to the dominant spiritualities we used to. The Doing Church paradigm, along with our devotional and formative spiritualities, are rooted in the paradigms of silence and mystery. In this episode, Steve and I continue our conversation around preaching and process. We're really just digging into the question of, uh, of how relevant preaching is and, and just noting that uh, people make use of church in different ways, both as people who make church happen and as people that go to church. And the goals are not necessarily the same, uh, even though there can be an overlap. And so really, um, if our goal is to enable people to engage relationally with God, then what role and place does preaching have and how do we best use it to attain this goal? Don't forget to like, subscribe and leave a comment on your favourite listening platform. We genuinely believe that nurturing the value for intimacy with God leads to practising the presence of God and that this is the most important and critical quest for our generation. We rely on your patronage and public support to do the work of the Urban Mystic, which is quite broad and diverse. The podcast is just one aspect of it. We also offer spiritual direction. And meet with people regularly one-on-one to have uh, these intense conversations around their process and their relational engagement with God. And we're also, we're also offering uh, courses and series that are really not just formative in the character-forming sense, but really enable people to make a transition to a relational spirituality rooted in the practice of the presence of God. So if you want to find out more about that, please uh, connect with us. There is a link in the show notes to PayPal below, please follow that link and you'll be able to make a once off or ongoing contribution to the work of the Urban Mystic. I've just put up our first YouTube video and uh, I thought I'd just kick this episode off throwing that out. Um, also, because it's in the context of us talking about teaching how, and how ineffective it is, <laughs> and where there's a role and a place for it as well, so <laughs> so there's no small sense of irony there. But I thought I'd just throw that out to start, and just to say that the that the that the, the link to the YouTube channel will be in the in the show notes. So please follow it, go take a look. It's a short; uh, I think it's only like a five-minute uh, episode, anyway. The idea is really to uh, build on some snippets from my research and my writing and from the podcast as well and just you know just add something a little bit more visual to that um, and explore an idea and so that first episode goes back to what we were speaking about when we talk about the shift from self-revelation and how key that was in the primal expression of Christianity and how we shift it to an institutional model and Mr. Godgy becomes primary and then from there it's the where is God and how does God fit into this and how do we know God is real and how do we know we're experiencing God and that just provides the overall framework. So going to build on that a a little bit. You know oddly enough to monetize a YouTube channel you need four thousand actual listening hours per year, <laughs> and you need over a 1,000 subscribers. I just want to say don't forget to like and subscribe and uh, listen all the way through, because uh, it, it actually it actually just helps, um, it will help us build that as a channel, and help us, um, I guess, just offer something different, something visual, that goes hand in hand with what we're doing with the podcast. And then we'll, um, you know, naturally we're going to get around also in the season to talking about series that we run and also talk about a spiritual accompaniment or spiritual direction in the way that we do it as well and how that fits together but we'll we'll get there but the channel is uh it's actually a big step i i've held off on it for about a year just trying to find the right way to do it i don't know if i've necessarily found that but i finally came up with something that i felt was not perfect but publishable
1: and i guess that's that's half of the win is uh is just getting started as well is one of the ways in which to uh to discover what is and isn't publishable. And, uh, and I also feel that, uh, that difficulty sometimes in, in wanting to uh, really find the best way to kick off and the best way to get started. And so, yeah, I'm really excited that you put that up. And I guess we can put that YouTube link in the show notes, I think, for this episode. Yeah, we will. So it's easier for people to find as well. So that's really awesome. Thank you for doing that.
0: Well, I mean, last I checked, it had it already garnered uh, fifty-one views and uh, up to fourteen subscribers without really promoting it or anything. So, it's it's very humble. <laughs> well very, very, very humble beginnings, but I'm I'm happy to <laughs> uh, I'm happy to start there. You know, so let's let's see what happens. And this this might actually uh, I'm feeling turn into a three-parter. You know, just going back to way in which we we sp- said we'd spend uh, as much time as we needed to at each of these different way stations along the way in the season. Uh, I've spoken to people that are so happy with what we put out last week, and other people went, "Hey, that's actually offensive." <laughs> oh,
1: really? Yeah. You have you had some offensive? That's good.
0: Yeah. So I thought I'd I, I thought I'd start there and just and just contextualize some of what I'm thinking. You know, in a world where these big churches, the celebrity kind of churches, the big rah-rah churches, the ones that rely on the pipeline of smaller traditional and mainland churches dying to feed them, really, you know, the ones that market themselves so well in that, you're often dealing with large congregations. You're dealing with, uh, you know, 500, 1,000, 2,000 people, 3,000 people, 6,000 in some cases that are part of the church. And, and, and they, they can often be the horrible ones that are just Mac faith delivery stuff. And then you've got these smaller churches with people that are putting and investing their life and soul in it and they're preaching authentically and they're really looking to see change and community work and they realize that, that the preaching is just one small aspect of a whole bunch of things that goes into making their church really good. And as I was reflecting at it, uh, reflecting and chatting to people, I was saying, yeah, but, but like, let's look at the context that you're in. Your congregation is about 20 people, 50 people, 75 people, 100 you can be looking at it and saying, not my church, not my work. But when you're comparing that to the poor examples that are out there and those churches that exploit, they far outweigh the good that is being done. And, and, and I just wanted to mention that as, as saying that when I, you know, I, I know that my critiques can sometimes be quite harsh. But mm. for the people that are doing things genuinely, they see it through the lens of them doing things genuinely and they see it through the lens of if they even if they go visitors and end up being the speaker at another church they're the speaker at another church they're not the attendee they're not the person that is looking at christianity going if this is what it's about, I don't want anything to do with it. And why don't I want anything to do with it? Because I've actually been to church. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not because they haven't been to church. It's not because they don't know Christians. It's not because they haven't heard the gospel or any of that kind of stuff. The problem is that they have, and what they've had is actually just terrible. And by and large, I think I think I just I just want to acknowledge that and say, by way of of actually affirming that there are people that are out there doing good things. But that, that really just brings us to the, to the point that, that, that you, you, you were raising about, about what are we trying to achieve and is this actually the best way to achieve it?
1: I like that position that you begin with. I think one of the limitations of discussions like this is, is, is a, there's sort of a, an opportunity cost involved with an, a direction of conversation that we have. And so to pursue this view that we've got in terms of a a broad brushstrokes preaching approach and a lot of what we see out there is to neglect other spaces in which, yeah, I'm still not convinced that it's, you know, the top of the pile in terms of what's going on. But for someone to make the case of, uh, I would think numbers numerically is important. So a smaller numerically community. Where there is a balance of not just people spending time in active teaching, but there is some sort of active community, like real relationally based active community, pastoral work, probably distributive leadership, shared responsibility and sense of, of, you know, carrying the weight of what it is to be community, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But even here, I feel like suddenly I'm just starting to get the wind up and I could go for another 30 minutes, but that's not the point. So, I, th- I think it is it's important always. I, I, I would put this out as a disclaimer in, in all of the conversations I'm looking to have with you. I don't think I'm trying to have exclusive conversations, directionally weighted. There will always be either outliers or genuine people trying to do good things that i've been in church systems and systems thinking only gets you so far i think where there are some really wonderful genuine individuals really trying hard to do some good down-to-earth amazing stuff in a system that's just completely shot and just hurting people left right and center there are some better systems and systems are just after all made up of a bunch of individuals and there's a greater or lesser sense of agency across the, you know, kind of per capita, (laughs) uh, if I can put it that way. And so it is incredibly complex, and I like that as a good space to start. I would still love to have conversations with people who see it differently and, and people with smaller communities, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but I still want to also pursue, you know, a lot of what we set down last week as well and try and diagnose some of the status quo. And so all of that, all of that nuance has to be held. Uh, it can't be oversimplified. And so I like that position that you start with. And, and I, I would add to that, I think one of my leading thoughts for our conversation tonight was I wouldn't want anyone to come out of our last conversation thinking that I think preaching is a waste of time or teaching is a waste of time. And I I think we probably did enough work for now, distinguishing the two. Because I I think there is most definitely a place for preaching and for teaching, and I think it has potential. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe that's as generous as I can be. I, I think there is a space for communicating information in the hope that it will land in an individual in a liminal space where they're ready to grapple with it and make something of it. The question for me is really whether it achieves what it is said to achieve. And I think that's, for me, where the rubber hits the road. And so I'm not suggesting preaching, teaching, get rid of it, never, ever, ever stand up and talk to a group of people ever again. I think that's foolish. But I do think we need to be aware of what we're getting from it what its limitations are, and specifically the trajectory for me is to aim, and I think we share this very much, we're aiming towards what does a relational spirituality look like in practice within a group. Yes. And and where would this fall within that? How does that foster uh, a real interactive relational spirituality within the self, between different human selves, so self to other, and what does it look like, uh, you know, in the divine to self? Uh, relationship.
0: I think for me some of this just goes back to the an earlier statement in one of the earlier seasons where I feel like if you start with doing church doing church becomes your work and doing church is this collection of, of activities that happen in a similar sequence and there's a backstory that says that this accomplishes stuff and the question is does it really accomplish that? With us having the privilege of stepping back from that and saying well we're not making doing church the focus of what we're doing, our focus is relational engagement with God, our focus is a value for intimacy with God and on the basis of that intimacy what does it look like when we speak about our priorities, what does it look like when we speak about the practices coming out of those priorities and that actually ends up looking slightly differently because the idea always with preaching is that it's supposed to effect change, it's supposed to represent God and it's supposed to be it's supposed to be people's encounter with God really is, is what it comes down to. This is that's what they're there for. It's the main show. And I feel that preaching actually needs to take the back seats and be the cover band to the God who draws near to speak and act. If if we're going to use it most effectively, I believe that that's been it's used most effectively. And so so I think I think just taking a step back from that, it's important to recognize that different speakers use the platform for different Outcomes. One of the outcomes is to build a following. One of the outcomes is to, you know, basically get the tithing in. But but when people go to church as well, they also use that for different outcomes. And so you often, you know, I speak to a lot of people that say, yeah, they just endure the, 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 the sermon. They don't actually, they don't care about that. They don't get anything out of that. And they're in large successful churches. You know, why, why are they there? Well, they're there for the for the community and they're there for the worship. So they're there for other aspects. And that, that really just starts uh, getting us into the picture that, that this activity, this 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 activity of doing church, is not being used equally by everyone. Um, you, you don't go to church to get the same thing out of it. So there's a lot of people that go there. They go, yeah, absolutely. I'm there to sit under that person's teaching, and I'm I'm learning so much, and I'm just loving it, and I'm just drinking it up. And equally, just you know, just two seats down, you find someone going, oh my goodness, I just you know, I'm I'm going to play something on my iPhone, <laughs> you know, <laughs> well just just to get through this. And what am I here for? Well, I'm 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 here to meet people, and you know, have coffee afterwards or whatever. And I love the worship, or you know, I love the sur- you know, some of the other activities that are being done, but just sermon's not the main show. Whereas I, I think that, that, that we're actually schooled into when we school people for ministry, doing church becomes primary, and preaching is front and center there. You know, that's, that's really it. That's, uh, that's, that's one of the primary, that's the primary job of a pastor, really, you know, or church leader, you know, is to, is to be, that, uh, be that front person. And if you build it large enough and big enough, you you keep that task and you hand over all the other work to other people. You know, and and that again just evidences and supports the fact that well, preaching becomes the main show and becomes the main job that people want to do.
1: And and there's a mismatch there in terms of sort of time spent, budget allocated, human resource allocation, even. And then even if you look at attendees, congregants, consumers, <laughs> whatever you want to call them, depending on how generous you feel in terms of how much time they dedicate to some of these things uh, to 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 this pursuit preaching either doing it or consuming it right there's a mismatch between that and i think for me what is what is an often stated objective and and it and it can be a couple of different things that i think have a similar root is essentially what changed people why the preaching well because it changes people, it brings them closer to God it makes you more like Jesus it allows you to be a bit of a member of your church It. I, I think there are a few and you could probably add a few to that, there's a few statements that are desired goals or objectives and it's traced back to, for me a central root is, well people are changed by this I think one of the other ones that I would ignore for now is, you know well, the word of God has to be preached the gospel has to go out, that kind of stuff but uh, that I'd take a shot at that another point in time. I think the formative aspect is so big. This is what changes people. They come in and you, you just pour enough facts or clever stories or emotional response things into them. And when they leave somehow passively from just what has supposedly, at worst, just flowed literally through the auditory canal and, had basic sort of amount of attention paid to it and then exited some other orifice, somehow they're changed. And those don't match up for me because I don't think that, well, I don't think research into how people learn supports that. And I don't think what we see in churches supports that at all. I think we see people just chasing experiences of preaching. And I don't necessarily see people becoming more like Jesus or... Godly or changing their characters, I think they just bed themselves down in more and more information gathering, um, sort of stale, static realities. I, I don't think it produces what it's supposed to produce.
0: I would like to just offer something, yeah, and see if if it makes sense and if it's workable. So I feel that when we look back in history and you take a look at each of the Great Awakenings, you take a look at renewal, you take a look at revival, during those periods people preach differently because they're preaching in a context that God is going to show up in. And in that environment language develops for, oh my goodness, this God is real, this God shows up, we're experiencing it, yay, they're invigorated in their preaching because they want to see God show up, they want to see God doing things. On the other hand, you've got people that hear that God is doing things, so they're not actually there for the preaching. They're there for the for God, and and preaching just happens to be one of the lubricants. In you know, it's it's one of the cogs in the wheel that brings them to that engagement with God. So sure, it might be a um, the message might be central in terms of. Uh, the engagement that is to follow, especially in the concept of forthtelling, That speaker, someone who's heard from God, is stepping up, speaking on God's behalf ambassadorially as a herald, and then God is showing up in person to, to pick up from it. So in that environment, that's, that, that's great. Then what happens is you have these, you generally have that disrupting church. So you can no longer be a church within the movement that you're in, because this is just getting out of hand. Right. So there's often a breakaway and, uh, and then a new movement starts, you know, and whether you look back at something like Methodism, uh, you know, you go back to Wesley and you go up to Methodism today, not quite the same thing. And that pattern repeats throughout everything. I feel that what happens is as renewal ends God starts withdrawing and then just as the church had to develop language around God's drawing near in person to speak and act, that church then refuses to adopt language around God's withdrawal and God's absence. So, they keep punting it as though that's happening. And with that, you've got this large group that's grown. They've often shifted from one building to another, or they've bought a building. They've got a larger congregation. M- money has been flowing in because, yay, you know, got a miracle healing. My leg grew back, or, you know, deliverance, or, or, or whatever. So, yeah, we're funding this. We believe in this. Look, God's on the move. Yeah, no, let's get more of this out. Let's get this out in the world. You know, so you've got big things happening there. So, you've got this flow that happens. And then during the settling phase, that group of leaders doesn't pick a next generation leader that is as committed to the presence of God, they pick the next generation leader that is best suited to the activities of doing church, with preaching being at the top. So what they try to perpetuate is this preaching machine with a big congregation, because that's going to bring the change, but they lose sight of the presence of God there, and it becomes very hard to categorize or to find language around that so it falls back into that mystagogic pra- practice of you know the next generation of christians is going to be born why because these christians get married and they have children or they have children and then get married or have children and don't get married because that happens all over the show and then and then you've got this next generation of people that are born and raised christian <laughs> and they grow up in a church environment that is not shaped by the presence of god it's shaped by the absence of god but the absence of God is called God's presence and where does God speak God speaks through the preaching <laughs> you know that's really how God is speaking to the church so i feel like we've got this we, we forget that this is a it is a life cycle that, that that takes place and and that it's it's people who do church that use renewal in a particular way to bolster the doing church paradigm i think god works despite that and god works beyond that anyway but what we inherit then is is we, we've got these things where people are taught to preach and they're teaching and they're trying to do these powerful teachings, but generally it's people that have got no solid idea of how to be hearing from God and then seeing God effect that kind of effect what God wants to do. Preaching is where the work of God ends because it's where their work ends and it's where their experience ends. Yeah, so so I I've, I've been mulling through that a, a little bit and I I thought I'd just throw that out and see if there's anything usable there <laughs> that of you, things. To pick up. yeah just it just complicates things I, I mean I just I just find myself not being able to get away from that historical backstory because I'm I'm seeing those patterns and I'm I'm working with that and and so, and, and trying to answer the question of 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 well within this environment how do we turn mm-hmm. this around how do we turn mm-hmm. these church environments around from from preaching with with little to no immediate engagement with God to be in environments where that immediate engagement with God is central. And that's a particular process. You know, it's a particular process and I think people do work at trying to solve it. I think a better approach is to start by not doing church, but to start with the relational engagement with God. And that's that's more where where you and I headed in our conversation. But but because we speak to people in church that share this passion, they're wanting to see how church can shift to being a vehicle through which they can enable people to engage God rather than, you know, is my preaching effective or, you know, I thought I was called to something, but I, you know, what am I doing week after week? This is tiring to sustain this preaching, but, but and where's God? I've just got to believe God's here by faith. But they don't have that language of God's of God's absence. They don't have the language of God's lack of engagement, really. Um, lack of immediate engagement, and and then I think the other thing that happens is is, is post renewal, that 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 category that that box in time of engaging God shifts, and it shifts to the introspective, and it shifts into this formative box, and here preaching is supposed to result in that formation, and your spirituality is supposed to result in the formation, but formation is not necessarily about relational engagement with God. It's, it, it is about tidying up your own life and your own morality and your own thinking. You know, it's a, it's a Christianized, uh, long-standing expression of self-help. <laughs> you know, um, and, and I think in many ways I don't see a difference between character formation towards Christ-likeness as a religious-themed approach as opposed to, you know, character formation towards just being a good person. You could, take, you could de-strip religion out of it and I feel like you could accomplish the same thing. Or you could substitute another religion and end up with similar kinds of outcomes. Why? Because the work is in the person facing their own ego, their own brokenness, their own dysfunctions, their own addictions, you know, on on every level. And as they take responsibility for that and as they learn to be present and compassionate and understand what drives them, they can grow in character and they can grow into being a more solid person. Yes, we could have a Christian version of that and going, yeah, what we're trying to achieve is to be like Jesus and imitate Christ. But I think that the imitation of Christ again is not the same thing as relational engagement with that Christ.
1: Well, that's tremendous. You've just cluttered the table. <laughs>
0: <today>. <laughs> I thought I was neatening it up. I'll sorry.
1: To, uh, no, 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 no. Look, it's. So I just yeah, I just need a minute. I'm thinking through in terms of that. That's uh, I wasn't expecting that in our
0: conversation, and so. I, I wasn't either. I'm sorry. I just. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's it's
1: all good, and I I think that's I think that's I mean even that's. As I think about it, I take one quick step back and to the left. And I think, I mean, this is important even, I think perhaps it's just important even for our listeners to be able to hear. Like the the complexity of this is it's not just a simple three-step process. And so when I first started thinking about this topic of conversation with you, I thought, well, we need to talk about kind of, you know, Preaching as like lecture type learning through to facilitated learning through to what is what would really be a relational expression of learning and development and change and future progress. And, and you know, that, that already starts to sound a bit 4D just through three steps. Um, but, you know, what, you, what you're bringing up here brings a, a whole new facet to the conversation. And I think that's partly what keeps me so interested, is because we're not scripting this. We're we're moving with what we've been thinking. We're placing things out almost in real time, and and so part of the possibility is that I suddenly go, whoa, okay, I wasn't even considering that yet in our <laughs> conversation. So you know that that's another huge, yeah, it's sort of a huge box to go dig around in and see what we come up with. But I I think a I'll default back to my usual position. When, when I'm not sure. But B, I also think it's probably worthwhile. I'll just ask a couple of questions mm. <laughs> <laughs> that come to mind as I hear what you say. So help me a little bit with this, with the idea of, of renewal and kind of the movement of renewal and the collapsing into then sort of post-renewal and the church system that emerges there, which which for me is very much just a uh, I just keep kind of keep the cogs turning sort of space in a way. And I think you know that could be critiqued quite fairly. That's it's a it's an overall simplification, but there is a lot of truth in it. I think as well. So renewal, post renewal, keep the club cogs turning. So now we're into doing church for the sake of doing church, right? But at the same time, alongside that, I go. I don't see within my own experience, so I'll just be very clear what I'm saying here and what I'm not saying. I don't see all that much renewal going on around the world in terms of first question I guess would then be from that well how how are you characterizing renewal? Am I thinking like Toronto blessing? and maybe that's a bad example, but I'm trying to think of others, like what are we talking about there? Because how consistent is this as a process? Because a lot of what I see is the post-renewal stuff that you described. It's just many, many, many churches. They're they're just peddling on this little machine, and the peddling makes the cogs go, and the cogs keep going. And as long as the cogs keep turning, there's a lot of activity, and we go, hey, look, we're doing stuff. In the same way that the educational institution has students walk into a class, sit in a class, get out pens and papers, there's some noise, a teacher says shush, they write on pens, on papers rather, you know, if they're really backwards to write on pens, I guess. They submit assessments, you know, they write exams, everyone gets all excited, there's six A's, blah, 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 everyone gets all very excited The deep formation has taken place, and I've been on the inside of that. And I've been at kind of the coalface of trying to look at character formation and things like deep value trays and resilience and grit and, and things like that. And and when you start to look at that level, you just go, Whoa, wow, like well, no wonder we just spend a lot of our time trying to fill them up with facts and getting them to parrot back at us and ignore the fact that much Many tertiary institutions are going, what the hell are you giving us these kids can 't think for shit and then the business forget that even post tertiary the business world is going, we have to basically retrain these kids from the start because you guys are not helping us yet and and so there's lots of activity happening there, and everyone just keeps getting excited over the activity and I see the same in the church, but are you referring to some there's a lot of questions here because I'm just interested in how it plays out here. How much renewal is actually happening? How many examples and experiences do we have locally? Your essay, I'm still learning bits of the church system here in the Netherlands, but globally you see things as well of actual renewal collapsing into post-renewal in the system. I just feel like I see a lot of system stuff. And so percentage-wise, there's very little to point at and go, but that, but that, you see that? That's what we're talking about before the doing-church paradigm takes off. Do you know what I mean? And then, yeah, I'm not sure what other questions to follow up with, so maybe I'll pause then, but it has something to do with, with, critiquing and then laying out this suggestion of what the relational spirituality would look like in the face of the cog machine. But I'm interested in this phasing that you're talking about and what that gives us as perhaps some learning points. Because even in initially, as I hear you describe it, there's some very clear things for me that ring bells. The renewal phase, when you talk about preaching, I, I don't, I can't even begin to put that even close to the same box as preaching in the cog turning phase. Everything I hear you describing there, most likely because it's the paradigm with which I'm looking at the moment, is relational. You're not talking about some bland sort of teaching. You, you, I hear you describing a really, really good marriage course that says here's a tool, this is how you use it in your marriage. Now, all of you get to go and sit at your little tables and actually use it. And the facilitators will come by and answer questions and prompt you and that sort of stuff, but go and do it, like actually get into it. That's more what I hear you talking about. I doesn't hold a candle to the cog-turning machine. And so I'm interested in this juxtaposition and kind of what else you can say about that and, and what lessons it has for us in terms of where preaching misses the mark and what it could be. And so in True, uh, our fashion, uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff and do with it whatever the hell you can.
0: I just want to start off by acknowledging that that the framework that we have is the framework of mystagogy. It's the framework of people are born Christian, they're raised Christian, they're educated Christian, they believe in a God, and then they go, how on earth do I experience this God? Do I even want to? Is this God real do I believe this? Do I need to believe this? In the pre-modern world you had to because society was legislated that way. God was a public teaching, and idea, and everywhere in society. As we move to the modern world that's no longer the case. So the population is, 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 might be Christian, but not in the public space. You're Christian in your private life, your private ideas. Religion becomes a private thing. And so renewal takes place within that context, and it's within the context of the institution of the church, and God disrupts it. So the God who hasn't been present, the God that people aren't hearing and experiencing, but is being preached about, decides to show up and start doing some stuff. And and in that context, people get very excited. And then usually it leads to a break, like I mentioned. But then when, when that group breaks away, they refuse to recognize when God is no longer active because they're on that hype train. They get on a hype train They want to keep going on the train. And that's where you see things like the Toronto Blessing breaking off from the renewal of the vineyard, and it starts going very pear-shaped. And then you see them down the lines like I did a few years ago, and I go... tremendously sad that they're still banging this drum and it's just it's just not happening you know but they're they're convinced that it is you know um and so there's something there's something that goes wrong within the psychology of those leaders in terms of almost i think it's got to be analyzed on a case-by-case basis and it's not so so speaking in terms of broad trends i think the broad trend is for some reason god doesn't show up but they can't have that so so God has to have shown up, therefore we have to have missed it. And that's where the language comes in of, you know, you didn't receive it because of a lack of faith or, you know, like any number of things that, that that happens. And and that's also where phenomena start taking place and it goes dysfunctional because then they have to prove, they have to evidence. And how do they evidence, well, things happen like people fell over or, you know, any number of other things that, that, that happens. So what do we do? We get good at... At, at, at hyping those things up and so I feel like that's where the where the dissolution is but often you've you, you've built this thing you, you've you've gone from being the person that had a 20-seated you, you know a 50-seated church that 10 people showed up for to uh, <laughs> you know, having to run multiple services in a day, to to a larger and larger church, and then you suddenly become this in person that goes and preaches around the world, and you know, like you're loving that. All people fly into to, to your church, and exciting things are happening. But then, when God stops, you've still got you've got all this momentum, and you want to keep that momentum going, and so that's that's what happens. is so many people post renewal end up they've broken away you don't have state support for your church like the mainline churches used to have you've now got an independent church and you're used to having funding and if god stops your funding stops so what do you do you you then become very slick at making doing church happen and i think that's that's where things that's where things go like go one step further Pesha, because why did god do this it was to build a church what does it look like to have the church built? Well, we've got these buildings, we've got these meetings, we've got these people that preach. That's what we keep going. We forget that all the language for church applied to the people, that language was co-opted to be applied to the institution. And that's a, it's a, it's a, diff, it's a perspective shift, a paradigm shift that needs to happen for us to recognize that the church that Christ builds is the people we happen to call the business of doing church, the church. <laughs> so what does it look like for the church to be built? Well, we still have a thousand people coming on a Sunday because Christ built his church. Okay, well, you know, it's a year later, we're down to 900 people. Yeah, okay, well, phew, now we've got to start evaluating the preacher. You know, like where is this going wrong? You know, et cetera, et cetera, because it, it dwindles. The church, that those church meetings shrink when God stops. Because people go to those meetings to meet with God because they're told that that's where they can meet with God and that's where God seems to be showing up. If you shift out of that church and you go meet in a school, you go meet in a pub, people are going to go there. Why? Because they're going there to meet God. But somehow through all of that quote-unquote success that happens in renewal, we end up as machinery and people have to keep that going. And what do you do when you've got that building or you've got, um, you, you know, you're married with kids and how do you make your living it's as a preacher? You know, um, what, what do you do? Well, you keep that going. And I think that's that's where we, we're we mostly at. So so that's one aspect. But then the other thing that's happened is, is, is thanks to things like COVID and those meetings being shut down, We've got people that are just not coming back to church. Why? Because they've they've come to realise how useless it is for them. How it doesn't actually play the roles that they've always thought that it's played in their life. Why? Because they've been schooled into it and then they've they've, they've come to recognise that you're just a, you're an audience member. You know, it would be like it would be like me calling what I put out on YouTube a sermon and and, and, and therefore saying that the people watch the part of the congregation. Like that's just nuts, right? And yet that's functioning what we're doing when we put church on YouTube. Um, or we stream it you know we end up with audience members so i think i think that's that's what happens and i, I do think we've, we're very much in a post-renewal phase the church is uh, um is down the the problem is is not the pro- problem is i feel that we use that as a cycle as though that god like the church starts falling apart and at some point god just comes back to go hey i've got to make this thing work that's the language that we get from renewal, and I don't think that language actually reflects God's intention, God's behavior, or God's activity at all. I think it's it's, it's people that have been programmed into serving the institution of the church. God comes and, and works and does a phenomenal thing. They draw on their past experience in the institution to now run a bigger and more successful business church, but then God's not there, so, so then what do you do to keep that going? Well, you keep the business things going, you polish that, and you keep that machinery more, more and more slick. Um, but I, I do agree. I think we're in a very post-renewal phase, and churches might be wanting renewal, but my question then becomes why do you want renewal? Often those churches want that because they want the numbers. They want that service that they're running to grow. And, and that's why I feel that the problem is this doing church paradigm. That, that by beginning with doing church and ending with doing church, we're not making the relational engagement with God primary and renewals are successful because of relational engagement with God, not because of doing church. You can have the world's most terrible preachers getting up and preaching during renewal, hardly saying anything. And you know what? God's just waiting in the wings to step forward and act right? And God actually chooses often some of the most useless preachers and we just don't get it. What, what what do those people then do? Well we've got to raise up a generation of preachers. We need to start our seminary. To need to, we need to get people preaching because, you know, it's, it's with the preaching of the word, the powerful messages that this happens. But it isn't. It's the, it's the powerful presence of God that makes these things happen. I feel that we confuse the two. We conflate the activity of doing church with the work that God is doing in renewal. And then when God withdraws, we're still trying to achieve those same results. But through what we're doing, we don't recognize that those results are only there because of God's presence. And God wasn't building the church we were doing. God's building the church that God's building. And that's not the same thing as what we call the church. I, I don't know if I'm making sense there. I feel like I'm- No, 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 you
1: are, you are. It's, it's just quite broad and so, and. It- that's not necessarily a problem. But if I dial us back into preaching specifically, I'm going to reflect to kind of some of what I hear you saying and, and even pose that somewhat as a question. You can tell me what you think. So macro picture here, God is the, oh, how do I position? So I want to say God is the ingredient, but that's not, that's not how I want to see it. God is the moving dynamic, the relational force that effects the renewal. God is the focus. You talk about God waiting in the wings. Yeah, and effects the, the about. change
0: and the transformation that, we, yeah. Yeah, that yeah, we're yeah, looking yeah. for in speaking yeah. of. Yeah. I'm,
1: getting, I'm getting there. Yeah. I'm just wanting to build sort of slowly towards that. But the, the, the process of speaking or the gathering or whatever. A lot of that could be summed up as kind of, you know, like the opening band, the, the support act. The, the main act waits in the wings and moves in. And as you talked about, people come to meet with God. And kind of the renewal happens there. That is that is the central axis on what on which this all turns. And so, again, so, so that's first point. Second, then the macro picture is then that Preaching then seeks to replace that. It is one of the aspects of the doing church paradigm. And and one of the reasons we're talking about it is because it's a very, it's a highly sought after and much used and much elevated aspect that is used to fill the gap when God does not show up or God is absent or God withdraws in lots of different language there, right? And and sort of, I'll stop there to start. So, So first point, I mean, that's really what you're saying. The contrast there is, if we look at preaching, preaching essentially becomes the idol. Preaching becomes the thing that waits in the wings. And I mean, we see this, I think, even as literally as that. You know, the worship band becomes the preacher who preps the crowd for the pastor to step forward and deliver the punchy sermon. And that... That is the language often, well, you know, God met people in this preaching of the word and it's the preaching of the word that goes out and won't won't return void and all this kind of language and the preaching is the power and that's where we see the transformation. In effect, what we're saying is the preaching is powerful enough it can replace God and that's where your point's about, well, that's why you can move from in a renewal space and perhaps the language of renewal is both helpful and unhelpful because it sounds very sort of time-oriented. But if we say in, in a space in which the relational primacy, the agency of God is respected, expected, valued in a space like that, when we move from that to where we're not expecting God, we're not, I would also say then respecting God, we're not valuing the the movement of God the showing up uh, the dynamic there then we have to find fancy preachers where previously in that dynamic you can have as you say somebody who just fumbles their way through some notes but the main show is is the God who shows up and moves and if that main show changes we then we're you know can see the perfect logic that you are forced to you know pump up people out of seminary and skinny jeans and whatever else it is to to really take that place that's i mean that's that's a big part of what you're saying with the element of preaching am i am i hearing
0: yeah, yes absolutely but 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 it's also because the common denominator between the two is is you've got someone that preaches and then in renewal they preach and god shows up and then following at the end of renewal god stops showing up but they keep preaching yes and and so we say the continuity is through the preaching the continuity is not through the preaching I think, I think we put the emphasis in the wrong place. We come to the wrong conclusion repeatedly because the tradition, the institution, the doing church paradigm tells us that that's the case. So we believe that before God showed up and, so, and we, we return to it after God stopped showing up. I think we're so schooled and so conditioned into it that it becomes primary. And because that's what we do, we can actually get better at what we do. We can, we can improve what we do. And what can we do? We can preach. And we feel like that's what we do, that's, that's what we're called to. I'm called to preach, it's up to God to show up. Whether God wants to show up or not show up is, is ad, up to God, but God's called me to preach is often the language that we've got. So what do I do? I'm just being faithful, I'm just preaching. And I think that that's, that's actually not what Christ called people to do. It's not, what he, um, it's not what he did with his disciples, because they both had to announce the kingdom and then they had to effect the kingdom. That went hand in hand. We found ways to unbundle that. So often people go, "Your yeah, church is a whole bunch of things." Tim, Steve, yeah, I mean, preaching is just part of it. But people come for the relationship, and they, you know, they, they they come for the services, and you know, we do a lot of good in the community. So, so you can't just narrow it to this one focus, right? <laughs> you know, like why are you narrowing down to this one focus? There's all these other things that are good, and I feel yeah. that
1: we just the we, bullshit evasion technique.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it's a way it's again one of those things of going, well, not all white people, not all men, you know, not all women, you know, not all whichever population group is the is the oppressor, you know. But it's a difficult this is a difficult it's a difficult space to speak into because God does call people to represent him. God does call people to preach as well. I think where we go where we go wrong is 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 that we we've not we've not Properly linked preaching to the presence of God.
1: Well, that's what I wanted to say. Was my question would be, and then it needs to be filled out: Are people called only to preach? And by that, I don't mean functional. I mean I've heard people say, "No." I, I can remember. I can distinctly remember sitting at the back of a church and listening to someone. Who actually, I, I I still maintain a relative high respect value for as a human being, but they were saying this, I just didn't know what to make of this. I said, I, I'm not going to be the person who visits you next to your bed in hospital. I'm not going to be the person that comes to your home does all these things. I'm here to preach. So, what? <laughs> Are you serious? But that's a functional value, right? Because that the manifestation of that functional statement comes from the paradigm of where preaching is The all in all. I
0: I can give you the names, I can give you the names and addresses of people that I know that are trying to plant churches, run churches that have that exact same attitude.
1: Well, exactly right. But so so paradigmatically what we're saying is you're not only called to preach. And by that I would mean surely preaching emerges from a, a a a foundational paradigm that understands Respects the presence of God and preaching emerges as something from that. I think that's probably what I would be. If if somebody said to me, Talk about preaching, I would want to position it that that way these days is go the relational, the reality, and the importance of the relational presence of God, my relational presence, and your relational presence, person with whom I'm speaking is 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 so clear that that is the ground of our being right here in this conversation and out of that i can talk to you about preaching but i cannot talk to you about preaching as if it is the foundational you know presupposition that makes no sense and i i I think is that kind of what you're taking aim
0: at? That, that's it. If you if you elevate preaching and you isolate preaching and you make that what you do and you, you you just and you break the fundamental link between preaching and pastoral care, then it becomes about your teaching and about your performance up there. If you maintain the link between preaching. As the person's hearing for God for these people that you care about, you know what's going on in their lives, and let's be honest: when we look at what's going on in people's lives and we really get to know them, we see people that are not being healed, that are not being restored, that are not doing well, and we start seeing people that only God's intervention can renew them and restore them to health in their relationships, in themselves, uh, in terms of their physical health—you know, all of that kind of thing. And and if you maintain that link between preaching and pastoral care, and you really hear what's going on with people, and you see them struggling and suffering and, and, and working along, you can't but want to see God move in their lives. And, and, and you get to see then that your preaching is not having that effect. Why? Because they're... <laughs> <laughs> They're just as as, as as dumb and as simple as they've always been. People stay the same. They can work hard at trying to bootstrap themselves out of their brokenness, but people are often trapped within it. If, if we break that link and we never get to see that, we live within this bubble that our preaching is having this wonderful effect on people. Why? Because more and more people are showing up and coming to church. The funds are up. Attendance is up. Um, the worship team is better, you've got better lighting, you've got better equipment, you're getting better paid as a preacher, you know, I think, I think that's what happens. But, but if you stay immersed in people's lives like that, you, you can't get that sense because you get to see that your preaching is not having the effect that you want it to. You start then having to ask questions about where is God and what is God doing. And you either explain that away through the way taught to you by faith or you face reality and go something's amiss here and what's amiss here is the reality of God um and the reality of people engaging God and I think that's that that's one of the reasons why I, I feel like I actually am so hard on those kind of preachers, you know I, and and I'm so I feel so harsh about um if people feel that, just just remove them from the pulpit immediately just take them out of it doesn't matter if they're the, the the golden boy or the golden girl that is going to be the next generation leader because they've got all these other skills, if they've got that as a root in them, that root's only going to grow. Just remove them immediately. Maybe that's a bit harsh.
1: No, but... uh, yeah, You know, I've, I've long felt that same way. At some point, I really feel that we need to talk about... I don't know. Lack of a better phrase, personality and the way in which we're wired as human beings, because I can't help but keep returning to this idea that, it's got, that it holds a significant sway. But so, one of the other places that I've mentioned, you know, in this episode and last a few times is just I've been somewhat I've been privileged enough to be somewhat close to education in different forms throughout my working life. And I have always had the greatest respect for, and I've always felt that they are the best examples of, this doesn't make grammatical sense, but I'm getting there. Uh, Teachers who are good at their subject are one thing. Teachers who care for their students are another thing. Teachers who are both are quite rare. I've met quite a few just well-meaning Teachers who are lovely people and they obviously care deeply about their students, but they're obviously also very useless at helping form their students. <laughs> and and I've met and, and and they're often at the bottom of the pile, which I think is a bit unfair. Um, then often people who are at the top of the pile are the people who are just phenomenal at their subject. People just, oh, have you have been taught maths by this person. They're amazing. And and I keep wanting to scream out, yes, but. But our life being human is a lot more than just knowing two plus two. Two plus two can build you an atom bomb and can drop it on cities of innocent people. Two plus two doesn't produce an ethical human being, doesn't produce a mature, um, deep, introspective, reflexive, open, curious human being necessarily. It's, for me, a hard skill that is both very valuable and very misleading. Engineers, wonderful people, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Nurses, doctors, all the different kinds of professions and and things that people seek to do with their life. And, And it all starts somewhere within education. But beneath that engineer, nurse, doctor, whatever else, is a human being. A human being who, to my experience, personal experience and that with others, Desperately wants to flourish and be a full human being and is not going to get there by sitting through lectures or classroom environments that focus only on can you add two plus two or do you know what you know the capital of Australia is or whatever those things are not unimportant and, and I draw that correlation because for me it works for the same as preaching it's not unimportant. But what is far more important is the fact that you become the fullest expression of the human being that you are. And preaching doesn't do that. I, I just, I cannot see it. And I've tried. And I've tried to do it myself. And I've tried to do it to myself. But it doesn't do it, in my estimation. The only thing that does it is very deep, intentional, hard work, internal work, within the self, between myself and others, and I'm convinced of this so far, at least in my life, between myself and the divine other, that we are shaped as human beings within ourselves, but also within some sort of relational spider's web that, that cannot just be factored into us. And I mean not factored, I mean fact E D. You, you can't just fact and information your way through life. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't. It's not a full expression of what it means to be human.
0: If the value is enabling people to arrive at that full expression of being human, what do we need to prioritize to get people there? What do, what, are, what are the practices that come out of that? And And again, there, I think one could say we could achieve a lot of what we're looking at and we don't need preaching we don't even need christ as part of that again and i and for me i keep coming back to this you know if we can if we can take a religious theme out of it and accomplish it in a secular or scientific way that's probably the backbone of what's happening it's just themed in a different way depending on the religion people that are in it's it's actually just it's it's constructivist in that sense it's you, you're shaped by the process and uh, you know it's something that struck me as you're referring to things there's a lot of teachers that that their their talent and their insight surpass the surpasses the limitations of this teaching system that they're in, and they're often connecting with students who rise beyond the limitations of the system that they're in to actually earn education for themselves or their interest in a subject or anything like that. Whereas, again, you know, we we keep reviewing education models because it, our education models become outdated; they don't serve us anymore. Preaching is an education model that goes back donkey's years. <laughs> and it's not the most effective at educating, and it's not the most effective at enabling the transformation. So there's two things that it's supposed to accomplish that it's actually not very good at accomplishing.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's why I feel so moved by and committed to the idea of, I I think for me, the depth of what it means to be human, to be human down to your very bones, is to know yourself in an intellectual, relational, spiritual, etc. way, and to know others in that way, and to know God as much as that is possible in that way. And that the sort of the three strands of that spider's web can... I think it's possible to choose one or two of those and to pursue that as a full expression of what it means to be human, but I don't think that is the fullest expression. So, you know, as you talk about sort of a scientific or secular or, you know, Western mindfulness or whatever it might be, those are all possibilities in the same way that getting through a school education and, you know, getting six A's for your subjects is fine, but you could be a miserable, useless you know, human being at the end of that. Still, you could just no resilience, no fight, no compassion, no sense of your own true depth and power and agency, and all sorts of things that that you know kind of weep over 18-year-olds leaving school systems, just just missing a huge amount of the point. And I think that's the same as if we if we talk specifically within a church context that is supposedly open to the spiritual. That is a significant part of what it means to be human. And and you you can't you can't impoverish the sense of what it means to be human and call it fullness of life. I, I, I just I, I don't see it. And, and so yeah, as you say, a part of that is you know preaching claiming to do things that it just cannot do. Um or you, <laughs> but it's clumsily put. People claiming that the process of preaching will do more than it does and then embedding that within systems that perpetuate that idea. And I like how you put it earlier that we're schooled into it and maybe lucky enough to move into some sort of renewal reform area and then move back into that. I think it is actually quite a primary position. And it's... it's yeah, I wouldn't say so much to drop preaching so much as to actually just loosen our grip and go well can we just can we just agree that preaching isn't god could we perhaps agree that could we could we be open to the fact that perhaps there is a god who comes and goes beyond the certainty of the show we can put on in which preaching is one of the main actors if not the main actor i'm aware very much of a traditional church where preaching is by far not the main actor. You know, but there, there are other things there that take the take central stage. There, can we just agree? And and this is an overly simple statement, just to sort of point in the direction that God is God, I am me, you are you, and there is this web of interrelation that happens that we need to take seriously. And no amount of telling ourselves God is heaven, God is not, is going to replace God. No amount of seminaries and fancy shows and fancy uh, you know, self-help monologues and all that sort of stuff is actually going to be the same because I've also experienced what you talk about earlier: people's desperate need to to move through something in their life, or to be reached, or to be touched by something, or to be healed. There's all sorts of language for that, and and faithfully returning to an empty well all the time because they've been promised that that's where the living waters are, and it, it's just not. It's just not, and, and even maybe not even worse, but, but somewhat parallel with that, sometimes tasting some water by you know moving into some of the processes that we'll also talk about and critique. But you know, whatever it might be, just getting to know yourself as if that process of internal revelation is, is the true living water, whereas it's just a part of it. Um, and you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm, I'm muddying the waters now here, which is probably not helpful. I want to keep focused on preaching, but
0: but I like what you're saying there because because essentially you're saying let's let's agree that our up our, our, our preaching can be important. we can um it can be valuable. Um, it also might not be, but our preaching is not synonymous with God's presence and activity. And so, if that is the case what often happens is is people then have to ask questions so what does it look like and there often people are looking for some kind of certainty they're looking for some kind of formula if i do this then i'm going to guarantee that whereas i think and, and i guess we'll comment on this a, a, a bit more to, a, at another point is that no perhaps not that that journey of that community of that group of people and that's that speaker seeking the presence of God and trying to work that out together is a process that they've got to go through and that process is really important and that in the absence of that they're not going to they're not going to be able to answer those questions because because by people having to ask questions about what does it look like and what is it like authentically there's there's a, there's a, an unacknowledged admission that either we don't trust those kind of things, but we don't know what they look like when God is present and active that way and if that is the case there's no stronger argument or evidence for for the fact that that a process or a journey is needed by that community to get there you know because if Jesus is very clear my sheep will hear my voice and know my voice and we go yeah how do you know God is speaking to you they don't match up i can preach all i want on the sheep knowing the voice of the shepherd but if that's what people are responding with, my preaching is not enabling them to know that. How do they get to know that? They get to know that by something that lies beyond the preaching. And so so it's not to say that that preaching isn't valuable in the context of church. It's just to say it's not fulfilling tasks that it's not designed to fulfill. That if we are running with that analogy about preaching as the cover band, then seminaries and universities don't teach preachers that. And post-renewal movements don't teach the next generation that. You'll have a generation of people who who are perhaps unconscious of of that dynamic even because they're so shaped by the mystagogic doing church paradigm that that what they've been taught is what they pass on which is the preaching and that's why they choose that next generation of of leaders to do to do church also because they don't know how to choose people that god is working with or they don't trust god to sort out the details that they're unhappy with when it comes to those people um because often we are we're choosing the right people that fit all the tasks that are, you know fine moral, upstanding, raised well, educated, good speakers, nice people, <laughs> you know um, whose lives are together and 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 often that's who we choose the next generation. We're always choosing those people into the next generation. and and then when what stories do we hear? We use stories about God choosing the rabble. <laughs> and then that rabble, that rabble, you know, like suddenly you've got a big church and then who takes over? Well, who takes over is usually the squeakier, cleaner people that then ask that rabble.
1: Yeah, that's very good because, I, sorry, if I can jump No, in no, there. go for it,
0: go for it, yeah.
1: The, so the thought I had just now was that, again, some broad strokes, but that's a really helpful way of contrasting two pictures of preaching is... The one is what I think we see a lot, which is just certainty based, which is very kind of closed in the direction in which it leads people. It's very answer based. It's very, oh, well, you know what to believe? Believe this. It has a veneer of curiosity about it without actually stimulating really deep, meaningful curiosity. So it it I think it's it encourages a certain amount of, you know, searching and seeking in a certain direction. But, but essentially it's built within, uh, that is built upon a foundation of you shouldn't have to go very far to find very clear, very certain answers. That's the one side. And I think that's almost, intended you know, to call it the idol of preaching. Perhaps. It's the one that replaces God. Whereas on the other hand, what you, some of what you were describing earlier is the messy. It's the difficult, is the rabble that you're talking about now. It is, you know, Bell talks about a sermon or a preaching moment or a teaching or whatever as, as the beginning of a conversation. It leads people into the process that you mentioned earlier. I would say it encourages people to push in and go, okay, well, is God here then? Is God not here? Are you being changed? Are you not being changed? How much of that is in your hands?" How much of that is in God's hands? How much of that is within this community's hands? How much of that is to be found in your relationship with yourself, your relationship with other people? And how much of that is to be found directly in your relationship with God? Again, broad strokes, but it would ask more questions than it would provide certain answers for. And I think at a very high level, one of the ways in which to measure it, the metric is, how much certainty do you peddle? And how much space for messy and process is there? And preaching that is more oriented towards, I don't know, why don't you go ask God? Or, I'm not sure, and a real curiosity. Let's seek that out together. Why are you not healed? Or why is life not working out? Or why do bad things happen to good people? Or whatever it might be, There's a myriad of things that people come to churches with. Loneliness, despair, hopelessness, um, comfort even. <laughs> I think some people might somewhere deep down desperately want to be afflicted um, out of their comfort, etc. And, and, and it's that process. And again, for me, the foundational paradigm would be it's a relational process when you're doing it internally between you and others, you and God. And I would suggest there's a good mixture of all three not necessarily in each moment, but, you know, again, macro picture. That's the preaching that I think that supports itself in terms of its own value. That is the preaching that is the precursor to God showing up potentially or to facing God's absence or to provide you with tools with which to keep looking within yourself, Amongst you know the relationships you have the interrelationships you and in other people, and to keep going through trying to pass through what does it mean to have a relationship with God um, and and that's 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 vitally important, but i I see very, very little of that, and the the really open-minded curiosity stuff that I see at the moment does seem to tend more towards like the answers are all within you and just look into the inner peace and the tranquility and the, et cetera. And I think even that it's best and that it's purest is still only part of the picture. Um, I mean, I, I just, I saw a, an event being hosted, just happened to just, it popped up on my uh, LinkedIn profile before we jumped onto this call. From somebody out of the U.S. who's hosting a conference with eight people, and it's called like the Mystics Conference or the Mystics Unite or something. And yet, the the central themes that run through the presenters and kind of what's on the table there is very much this. I don't know if it's a bit of a heavy-handed critique, but it's very one-dimensional around kind of like looking within yourself coming to know yourself and mindfulness and quiet and silence. And, and I see no, you know, at, a, at, a, at, a, at an immediate read-through, I see no trace of you know, what does that mean to do... Okay, sorry, to be fair, it, it's, it's not single. It, it also talks about our response to others. But the vague reference to spirit... Has more to do with the internal spirit, I think, than the actual active personhood of a God that shows up, and I think that bears up in much of the teaching. And again, you know, there you'd wonder, well, where's the messy process to relationship?
0: Yeah, and 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 I, I agree that that again, that's one of those concepts where the the mystery who is God, who wants to be known um relationally is traded out for the idea that god is an ultimate mystery that can never be known so all you do is you access yourself and you spend the time with yourself and self-mastery and personal growth through that is the evidence for you then being synonymous with relating to god i think it's a it's it's a similar kind of transition and a similar kind of linking of something like with preaching you know and I think in the same way it actually misses the relational engagement with God, you know, so, so sure that self-work enables better relating. And then we say, look, there's goodness, therefore there's God.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I think there's some similarities between preaching and some other facets of the doing church paradigm that, that say similar things. Oh, look, all well, this is happening therefore, God. Um, so I think that's why we're taking aim at preaching because I do think it's one of the most most yeah I, I think it's that but it's also most frequently a sacred idol as well so there's the you know I think it it, uh, it occupies the tops of many pyramids across um, across kind of the, the, the church landscape um, and it's also most frequently referred to as central to, uh, yeah, to life and practice. And perhaps not.
0: Perhaps not as central as, we, uh, as we've been taught and, and, and believed. <laughs> yeah.
1: I do think it begs the question of what you raised way back in the beginning, of potentially we might be needing to look at this in a third part. It does still for me beg the question of what might... I think we've touched a bit on it, but what might what preaching actually look like as supporting a relational way of being? And perhaps we might get to that in the third part, or perhaps it might be a little bit later on in this season. I'm not sure yet. I guess we'll have to figure that out the next few days. But um, for me, it does beg the question of, okay, so then what?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I think I think also this is possibly a good place to leave this as a conversation for tonight. And um, and then just to pick that up again, yeah, I, I think I think this is you know as I mentioned earlier to Waystation that actually merits spending the time with. It's something that I thought was going to be much easier to breeze through, but it is really just you know as you acknowledged earlier, it's actually just so complex. This is not a you know there's not an easy answer here. It's 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 just there's a reality. There's a there's a conjunction and a disjunction. There's a there's, there's a unity and a separation between preaching in the presence of God in some situations and some you know dynamics and then there's a disconnect <laughs> you know at other times and that's really what makes it makes it complicated yeah because the common denominator is the preaching um, but again you know not all preaching is equal in that sense so yeah I think I think yeah it's going to be interesting coming back to this again next week. <laughs>